basically the message of the secret is the message that I've been trying to uh, uh, share with the world on my show for the past 21 years. The message is that you're really responsible for your life. You are responsible for your life. I've known this. I've known this since the color purple. In 1985, I've probably told you the story when I did the color purple, but in 1985, I did the color purple. Prior to that, I had read the book, Larry. Now, this is a this is when I got the secret thing, but I didn't know it was called the secret. I read the book, The Color Purple, and then went out and got books for everybody else I knew. And I was obsessed about this story, obsessed about it. I ate, slept, thought all the time about The Color Purple. I moved to Chicago. I get a call from a casting agent asking, would I like to come and audition for a movie? I've never gotten a call in my life from anybody for a movie or anything like that. And I say, is it The Color Purple? And he says, no, it's a movie called Moonsong. And I go, well, I've been praying for The Color Purple. And I go to the audition, and of course it was The Color Purple. I audition, I don't hear anything for months. And I go to this, this fat farm, and I think it's because I'm fat, because I was about 212 pounds at the time. And I think, I didn't get the call back because I'm so fat. And I'm at this fat farm, and I'm praying and crying, saying to God, help me let this go. Because I wanted to be in this movie so much. I wanted it, I wanted it, I wanted it. I thought I was going to be in the movie. There's all these signs that I should be in the movie. And I go to this fat farm, and I'm praying and crying. And as I'm on the track singing the song, I surrender all, I surrender all, all to thee, my Blessed Savior, I surrender all. I'm singing that song, praying and crying. A woman comes out to me and she says, on the track, it's raining, and she says, there's a phone call for you. And the phone call was Steven Spielberg saying, I want to see you in my office in California tomorrow. Now, what I learned from that, it, that moment absolutely changed my life forever because I had drawn the color purple into my life. I didn't know Steven Spielberg. I didn't know Quincy Jones, who saw me in Chicago in 1984. He was, he was there for a lawsuit that was being filed against Michael Jackson because he'd been working on his, his thriller album. And he saw me on AM Chicago and said, that's Sophia. Now, I didn't know him. I didn't know anybody that had anything to do with that. But I knew that I had drawn that into my life. And it changed the way I thought about my life forever. Just a bunch of fucking coincidences. <laughs> you hear the way she ramblingly tells his story and just sort of winds around in and out. She was at a fat farm and then Steven Spielberg called her. She was a famous person. <laughs> Abracadabra. And she'd expressed interest. And then, oh, but, but you know, back in the 80s, Quincy Jones. And like, that has, oh my, it, it is just... <laughs> Did she ever stop to think that maybe she was just right for the part and she was a public person and people knew who she was? No, that's not that's not that's not part of the story. That doesn't make a good magical no, narrative. That's not magical. That's that's not magic. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Wet Wired. I'm Julian Paul Butt. And I'm Sean Andes. 
The law of attraction permeates the world of self-help and spirituality. In this magical world, everything you think you know about the causal nature of reality is just fucking wrong. All that you experience, all that you have and are, is a consequence not of anything you've done in your life. It's the vibrations that you attract. <laughs> you don't have to explain the mechanism or prove the results because it's all self-evident. If you don't get what you want, you just weren't wishing hard enough. And if you want something, all you need to do is believe. Even if you've never heard the words, the law of attraction, you've heard its message from pop singers and film stars. Even Peter Pan knows this one weird trick to flying. You think of a wonderful thought. However, you've probably heard of the law of attraction from the 2006 film, The Secret. The messenger behind the message, Esther Hicks, got the idea from 100 ghosts, whom she channels in seminars for her captivated audiences, in books, and even on cruises. Without The Secret, we wouldn't know Esther and her spooky friends, and without Esther Hicks, there would be no film. And we would all be poorer for it. <laughs> The Law of Attraction made a splash in pop culture with The Secret, which largely drew from the works of Jerry and Esther Hicks, a couple who had been teaching The Law of Attraction for about 20 years at the point that the film was released. According to The Law of Attraction, your thoughts and feelings vibrate on a special frequency, and that frequency attracts the vibrations of a similar frequency. So if you want money, fame, health, or success, all you have to do is have the right vibes. The idea is to draw these things, attract these things into your life. And so, as we're going to learn, the people who are teaching the law of attraction, they're not teaching you so much how to do new things, but they're teaching you about all the ways that you're actively repulsing these things in your life. If it sounds like the prosperity gospel, you are not wrong. The film's writer and producer, Rhonda Byrne, cut Esther from the film in the re-release within a year. But that didn't stop the Hicks' books and speaking engagements from skyrocketing in sales from the movie's popularity. And Jerry and Esther, while Esther suffered a great deal from it initially, have got themselves into alignment about it, and the whole of the matter is that they are benefiting enormously mm -hmm. from this exposure to the secret. There are all mm -hmm. kinds of people out there that are being activated to the idea that you can create your own reality and that the law of attraction abounds. Mm -hmm. We acknowledge that this woman held to her vision very tightly and created what she wanted to create. And we will say to you, especially in the context of what's going on here, what she did was not nice. It was not nice that she did to Jerry and Esther what she did. But nice is beside the point, don't you think? Mm -hmm. In other words, she came into alignment with what she wants. She gave her undivided attention to it. The universe is yielding to her. She's getting what she is wanting. And, for, and Jerry and Esther came round to understanding that for someone else to receive what they are wanting does not in any way detract from them. Mm -hmm. In other words, no one can detract from the work that Jerry and Esther are about you see and so this is a secret that keeps on giving mm -hmm. the best part the best and and the most interesting thing about all of this and this is the thing that is stunning from our broader non-physical perspective the secret movie tells a story about knowledge being suppressed. That's sort of the basis of the secret, that there are laws and things that mm -hmm. you have not been allowed to know. 
And we think that by taking Abraham and Jerry and Esther's part out of the secret, they are doing the very thing again <laughs> that they used as the basis oh, for their wow. movie. There's that persecuted knowledge again. Yeah, I, I, there's so many things about that clip to talk about. <laughs> First off, you see her, You well, you can't see her because you're not watching this like we are, but you hear her, that being Esther Hicks speaking. In the third person. Kind of, because she's there on stage, but it's Abraham speaking through her, which is why she's referring to herself and her husband and the third person. There are quite a few points in that clip where she kind of slips up and gets a little too sort of chummy, especially when the audience starts laughing. It's almost like she couldn't help herself from laughing along with the audience. Now, we haven't introduced Abraham or what she says is going on. Abraham's supposed to be this ascend- well, this collection of ascended beings. Don't give beings. it away ahead. Well, hold on, because <laughs> we, we just delivered this clip and we with, with no explanation. We have to give the people something. Her getting goofy like this up on stage is not exactly in line with the with the idea of sort of ethereal beings communicating from beyond. Yeah. <laughs> right. The other thing about this clip, and this isn't even the content, this is all just the context of the clip that I'm still talking about, is this is like the nightmare scenario for audience participation when you go to a show. Like when, when they, like, it's like, it's like having the comedian focus on you and ask and start talking about your date or something like that at a comedy club, (laughs) because she takes this, she takes somebody from the crowd that has a question. I mean, who knows how real any of that is, but they're, they're placed up on stage about 15, 10 or 15 feet away from Esther Hicks alone by themselves in a chair. And it looks like they are receiving, it's like, it's like some kind of on stage struggle session or something (laughs) like in the cultural revolution, the, where the person just sitting there incredibly uncomfortably in this chair with all the attention of Esther Hicks just like focusing on on him or her. They're, the person's the the audience member's back is to the rest back is toward the rest of the audience. So it's just this intense focus of Esther Hicks on this one person. I think so much of what you hear right there is just nervous laughing because it's got to be insanely uncomfortable. And then Esther Hicks goes into this diatribe of, of her personal affairs. Right. And and that's that's the other part where it's just like, yeah, yeah, she's channeling the spe- the beings and everything, but the beings seem to really be taking up the the Jerry X- Esther Hicks cause. <laughs> they're definitely they're they're picking up that mantle. They're going to they're going to stick up for their buddies. <laughs> well, Esther Hicks talks about the law of attraction, but so did every other speaker on Rhonda's movie, and so did authors dating back to the 19th century. She's not really that original with these ideas. She's not the first one on the block, but she was a critical influence in this movie. And she doesn't claim that her ideas come from any of these authors. According to her, the source for her esoteric wisdom is coming from beyond the realm of flesh and blood. She wants to make sure that she has no sort of um, earthly antecedents. There are no predecessors of her ideas. Her ideas specifically are coming from the void. (laughs) Yeah. And she claims that she gets her teachings of the law of attraction from a group of 100 non-corporeal entities known to her collectively as Abraham Hicks. 
She gets these vibrations from Abraham, and then she translates those vibrations into spoken language, which her husband, Jerry, edits in their best-selling books. Well, edited. Edited. Uh, past dead. tense. <laughs> yeah, don't give away... Spoilers, Sean. <laughs> Everybody knows he's dead. I don't know. Does anybody know he's dead? Did anybody know he existed? <laughs> it's like when somebody told me before watching uh, Cameron's Titanic that it sinks in the end. I mean, come on. Spoiler <laughs> alert. Good morning. We are extremely pleased that you are here. It is good to come together for the purpose of co-creating. Do you agree? Yes. It is co-creation at its best, yes? yes? You know you bring much more than those beautiful physical bodies you have dragged here. Sitting in your clumps on chairs. <laughs> for without exception, you also bring with you that broader non-physical part of you in the same way that Esther relaxes eventually and allows her vibration to raise to the equivalency of that which is our frequency then there is a seamless interfacing of non-physical and physical and that seamless interfacing is happening all day, every day, in nearly every aspect of your world. That's Esther Hicks getting into her channeling. And... Oh, yeah, she's definitely vibing hard right, right here. There. She's really putting on uh, the full act for us. This is when she's just getting into the trance. And she's got this vaguely transatlantic accent going on as she's as she's presenting as Abraham. And by the way, uh, not only does she do these seminars, but uh, she can teach you private lessons so that you can learn how to channel non-corporeal beings yourself. But not, but Abraham. not Abraham. That's her shtick. <laughs> <laughs> we don't. We don't want anybody. We don't want anybody channeling and checking Esther's notes. Get your own. <laughs> you you got to channel them like like you're catching Pokemon. I'm I'm really impressed how how well Abraham has uh, taken on mannerisms of a human that is speaking in front of a group of people, including little ticks like constantly licking her lips and things like that. <laughs> Abraham is incredibly impressive. Now keep in mind, Abraham's not possessing her; she's channeling, she's translating the vibrations. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, th that. None of that really makes any sense at all when you think about it for more than a second or two, because if she was, in fact, channeling in the way that she's describing and not being possessed, then what is up with all the third person language? And and the and the switching able to switch back and forth. Yeah, I, I just it, not, it doesn't really make any sense. Now, I, I, I guess, you know, people who know who've ever been around a language interpreter you get used to the interpreter speaking, you know, at least possibly speaking about him or herself in the third person, because the interpreter is literally uh, tr like translating the language of the person speaking 
And sometimes those comments are going to be about the interpreter themselves. Yeah. You know, so they will, you will catch the interpreter say something in, in the third person, or at least, you know, the third person, if you're accepting that all of that's coming directly from the interpreter, but you're supposed to be switching over and maintaining this idea that it's all coming from the person who's speaking, who's being interpreted. So you're saying Esther should take a few ASL classes so she can kind of get the gist of this. I, I'm, I'm saying that, you know, I, I'm coming around to the Esther camp, I guess, you know, like I, it's starting to sound more reasonable. All right. I might sign up for Abraham now and, uh, and get the $60 a month subscription <laughs> to get all of these, uh, all these presentations. Uh, let, let's, let's hear more about the law of attraction from the horse's mouth on Oprah. Yeah, you're going to hear a lot of Oprah clips, by the way, everybody listening, because Oprah loves this shit. She just absolutely. That's why we opened it with Oprah. And and you might notice a trend on our show where we tend to find connections to Oprah pretty often. (laughs) There, There have been quite a few people that we've mentioned in connection to Oprah. She is such a sucker for this stuff. There's a there's an epi- episode that we've recorded but not released yet that's going to be coming out about Dr. Christiane Northup. And that one, you know, again, that's another Oprah connection. I mean, Oprah had the good sense of cutting ties before uh, before Northrop got too wonky. But it wasn't before they'd spent years collaborating on all kinds of nonsense. And then uh, another one. Um, who was the other one that we we brought up in connection to Oprah? It can't be. It's not David oh, Wolf. You know who it was? I no, I don't think David don't Wolf think, ever made an appearance on Oprah. But it was the uh it was the the Duggars were going to go on Oprah and they got a they, the appearance got canceled because it turns out everybody in Oprah's production team had caught on oh, to the that's rumor what about all the uh like the impro- sexual improprieties going on in the household that evidently was like an open secret. <laughs> Speaking of the secret. So I, I, I guess that's, you know, that's good on good on Oprah's team for for not platforming the Duggars. I'm going to ask you to bring right. in Abraham. All right. You'll like it. I'll like it. We are not really as strange as all of that. <laughs> it is nice to have an opportunity to visit. So, Abraham. Do I call you Abraham? Do I call you Esther? What's what's the protocol? Mm-hmm. Most call us Abraham. Some call us Esterham. Esterham. Abraham is fine. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so when I, I this is so weird. So as I sit here on, a, it's not ex- weird from your perspective, but as you try to define it through the eyes of others, yes, you see them as seeing it as weird, and so then it feels weird. But in reality, it is not weird. Yeah. Everyone is doing this to some degree. To some degree. Yes. Thank you for that clarification. So may I ask you some questions about um, some of the feelings that people have after hearing that they are attracting into their lives everything that is happening? So you're saying, are you saying that everything happens in our life for a reason? We are saying that, but differently than that in this way. Everything happens for a reason sounds a little bit like it is an outside reason that has been assigned. We say everything is happening because of the vibration offering that you are setting forth. Everything that is coming to anyone is coming in response to what they've been thinking about. 
as you think a thought, it activates a vibration. And as you continue to think it, that vibration becomes stronger until eventually you call it a belief. A belief is just a thought you keep thinking. And once you have activated a vibration enough that it is dominant within your vibrational patterns, then law of attraction matches it up with things like it. So that's why the law of attraction is that you bring into your life that which is unto itself. That is it exactly. Then why do such bad things happen to people who are not thinking about those bad things? Well, the best way to describe that is by saying to you that the thoughts that they have been thinking have the same vibrational essence. In other words, someone might say, I did not think about that specific thing. But there is no question, if something happens, what you are living always matches what you've been offering vibrationally. There are no exceptions to that. So the confusion comes in where what it means is people are offering vibrations that they don't know they're offering because they've been thinking thoughts. The thoughts are normal. It's like even what's going on in your nation today. There are so many thoughts that are fear-based and people accept them as normal, but they are not good for people to think those thoughts. I let it play a little bit long there because a lot of that clip at the end especially has to do with some stuff that comes up later on. But did you did you catch the part where Oprah made the comment when she first addressed Abraham that's or so Esterham? That's even better. She's like, that's this is so weird. And then the the tactic that Esther Hicks uses to flip that thought around and get Oprah's buy-in in that moment is really interesting. And you hear this kind of thing coming up quite often from people that are, you know, they're doing this kind of like persuasion selling like somebody like Esther Hicks will do. They'll sense the uh, the resistance that's coming from whoever their mark is, and they will find a way to transform that into acceptance. Using, using it as that's leverage That's exactly what she tells Oprah. Saying... Yeah, uh, it may seem weird from your perspective, but in the big cosmic, and then I don't remember what she says, that's that's how she flips it to say, oh, well, it only seems weird if you're not getting it. So, you know, if you're not with it. That is definitely true. But but I'm thinking about like the specific words that she uses where she she agrees with Oprah that it is it's. It's not actually strange to you, but I agree with you. It is strange once you start trying to think about how other people will hear it. She puts herself on the same team. Like, I understand why you think this way. And here's why it's actually not the way you think it is. Yeah. And then Oprah, like, never puts up a fuss about it the rest yeah. of the time. But everybody should should know the stuff at the end about the sort of when Oprah says, well, why do bad things happen to good vibrators? You know, like <laughs> good the, vibrators, Sean, like if, if you, <laughs> that word, I don't yeah, think it means exactly. what you think it means. <laughs> <laughs> it means exactly what I think it means. <laughs> if, you're, if you're out living your life, putting out good vibes and not thinking bad thoughts, then why do bad things happen to you? Which is obviously, it's just a, a twist on the, you know, why do good things or why do bad things happen to good people? Why do good things happen and to bad people? And it's also a similar whatever. twist to uh, why does God do this to me if I pray and so forth? Totally. It's, I mean, it's the story of Job. I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's like, it, it's kind of as old as it gets when it comes to trying to explain why shit happens. Turns out, turns out uh, it was just a high stakes bet. Between the devil and the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> 
You know, God was just fucking with you. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> it gets it gets boring. <laughs> but the answer that Esther Hicks gives to that question about why why bad things happen to people with good vibrations is really telling. She takes the situation and instead of saying that like, well, sometimes, you know, the world's an unpredictable place and random acts occur all the time. We get caught up in stuff, whatever. Entirely reasonable descriptions of a chaotic reality. She doubles no, down. It's because she doubles down. Your vibrate the the thoughts of your vibrate or the vibrations of your thoughts are in alignment with the same types of things that happen to you. So even if you're not specifically thinking about the bad things that are happening to you, you're thinking other bad things. You know, you're thinking other like like other vibrational like you're on a different you're on the same wavelength as uh, wavelength as the things that now you got to be walking on eggshells with what your thoughts and the universe yeah well because yeah, it, it, we're gonna keep going <laughs> because you just get in you get into this it, mud it goes so much with, deeper with the way that esther hicks thinks about the world and the way that she's advising her her listeners and the attendees to her to her events to think about the world it gets so mucky and convoluted so insanely fast. <laughs> and I think that's like, that's one of her, the, the ways that she draws these people in is she just confuses the shit out of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because if you try to follow her through all of these different twists and turns in her thinking, you're, you, you will get confused because you, you, you simply can't make any sense out of it. There's no, there's nothing, there's nothing really to hold on to. There's no firm place to grab. Another thing about this clip is that you have this kind of question and answer sort of dynamic between Oprah and Esther Hicks. This is something that she does in all of her events and ha really has done since the beginning. She uses this channeling to answer questions that are given to Abraham from members in the audience in these massive auditoriums, which are 250 bucks a pop. And then she also has cruises. Get this, she's got her, her spirit ghost cruises for the low, low cost of two to 11 grand. And you can even be a part of the Abraham experience online in Abraham now, which, uh, Sean, are you, are you now a member? I've signed up. <laughs> and, uh, you can get live stream workshops for 49 bucks or subscribe and get the recordings, uh, for 15 to 60 bucks a month. They, they made millions from this, from the idea of the law of attraction. But it didn't all start with 100 ghosts. <laughs> no, it did not. <laughs> oh, is it my yeah. turn? <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. Thanks for the segue, Julian. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's fine. It's, it's totally... I, I mean... I that that was that was the kind of the segue, but maybe maybe <laughs> no, it was pretty. It was fine. It was fine. I was I was making a joke for missing my mark here. Line. <laughs> Abraham wasn't always part of Esther Hicks's life. Unfortunately, we don't know a whole lot about that time period because she has been. I, I wouldn't say secretive about her background, but just not interested in really talking about her own history. In situations where she has been asked directly about her childhood or, or her early years before meeting her later husband, Jerry Hicks, she just deflects and really comes back to talking about current type things and what they're doing next and what Abraham's up to. 
what we do what we do know it barely fills a wikipedia entry the bio on on her is incredibly brief we know she was born esther weaver in colville utah in 1948 we know she was a divorced mother of two daughters when she met jerry hicks in 1976 and that's about it in some places there are some sort of un i don't know there are uncorroborated or at least unverified biographical details that she met Jerry Hicks at an Amway seminar, which is totally possible because he was an Amway representative. Other than that, there, there's nothing else about her background. And Jerry's Wikipedia now, Jerry, entry, on the other hand, uh, while he's a little bit more of a character here. Uh, that's what I was just going to say. Yeah. Like Jerry, on the other hand, is definitely the life of the he, party. He doesn't even have a fucking Wikipedia entry. He doesn't get his own page. He just has a lot more background that's been discussed in his uh, about his earlier years. And I can understand why he he has. I, I think that the reason Esther hasn't talked too much about her own her own earlier years is because not much really happened. You know, she was she got married. She had a couple of kids, got divorced. I mean, I'm sure that was exciting <laughs> in the in the 60s because it didn't happen very often. Jerry, on the other hand. He has the kind of life history that you probably just can't help talking about. When they met, Jerry was married to another woman. According to him, he has lost track of how many wives he had. So this was either the third or the fourth wife he was currently with when he met Esther, who was then working as a bookkeeper and also 20 years younger than him. And also, according to Jerry, this was this is where the information about the Amway thing comes from, is that he was giving a presentation in Fresno, California in 1976 when they met. Jerry was born in 1927, and his entire childhood was just sort of bouncing from one city to another. He lived in San Diego, he was in Arkansas, and he finally attended high school in New Orleans. But in his late teens, I don't know if he graduated at all even, because late teens could be anything. It doesn't mean he finished high school. Jerry moved to Cuba and became an acrobat. <laughs> I mean, how do you not tell people yeah. this story? You have to tell people. By 1948, he was touring the U.S. as a musician, an MC, and comedian. I, I would I, again, all according to his own to his own uh, description of his life. I would pay so much money. I would give my left arm to hear his stand-up act. <laughs> right? Oh, I know. It's the kind of things you wish existed still. Jerry spent most of the next 20 years on the road until he signed up for Amway. Somehow, and, and this is always a mystery to me, somehow Jerry managed to make millions of dollars working for Amway just by selling soap, jewelry, and floor wax. What we really know is that you make money in Amway by signing up other people. This should clue you in about Jerry's true skill set. He could convince people to do shit. Amway. To believe Amway things. is the original multi-level marketing company. I mean, they're oh, the it is. MLM. I, I think it is. It is one of, it is the first one that's, that really got big at least. And to give a little bit of background about Amway, it was founded in 1959 by this Dutch American dream team, Richard DeVos and Jay Van Andel. One of those names should sound familiar. Yeah, if the DeVos name sounds familiar at all, Richard DeVos is the father to Dick DeVos, Richard Jr., and Dick is the husband of former Secretary of Education, Betsy DeVos. That also makes Dick the brother-in-law to Eric Prince, the former CEO of mercenary private military contractor, Blackwater. And it, like, isn't that just like this ugly little web of school vouchers and private armies? <laughs> 
Are these people all all, all with Amway all money? These people, all, it's all Amway money. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're all emerging out of the same murky pond. Uh, Michigan, that would be the murky <laughs> pond. <laughs> all right, let's bring it back a little bit. All right, all right, no more Amway. <laughs> well, actually, a little bit more Amway. <laughs> According to Jerry, he made it to the very top tiers of Amway before he decided to leave the business and strike out on his own. Jerry picked up some ideas that would become part of the Abraham routine from a book he, according to him, found by chance in a motel. And it was none other than Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich. So if you're looking for an antecedent to the secret and the law of attraction, the way that Esther Hicks describes it, Think and Grow Rich and Napoleon Hill's other book, The Power of Positive, uh, Power of, uh, Positive Mental Attitude. That's what it is. Power of Positive Thinking is the, is the the other guy. What's his name? No. No. That's the power of now. (laughs) Power of Positive Thinking is, ah, somebody is going to be so annoyed when they listen to this and be like, no, it's this guy. Yada, yada, yada. Yeah, whatever. Um, Another very famous one, the one that has the connection to Donald Trump, but I can't remember his name. Uh, uh, oh, anyway, uh, that's from a 2007 uh, Norman Vincent interview. Peel, of course. There it is. Yes, Norman Vincent Peale. <laughs> Thank you, Wikipedia, I'm sure. I saw Jules on the camera, obviously, looking at something. <laughs> <laughs> from a 2007 interview of the couple in The Independent. Before Esther met Jerry, she says she'd had no unusual spiritual experiences. Quote, so how was it, I asked her, that you first came to transmit messages from Abraham? It started in the mid-1980s, she tells me, when the couple were living in Phoenix, Arizona. Quote, Jerry had been reading the Seth books. Is that... Already. If you're reading the the, Seth books, (laughs) you're just ready. You're ready for your psychotic break. We're all ready ankle deep in into uh this woo woo the the seth books are channeled messages from a spirit guide uh and written by a woman named jane roberts i was afraid seth spooked me but i warmed to it i'd lay on the sofa and jerry would tickle my feet and we'd read seth for hours every day that is just so fucking romantic (laughs) (laughs) why did he have to tickle your feet because she replies I like having my feet tickled. She brings this up in almost every interview with a journalist that is talking about their origin story. I, she, she loves it. She keeps going back to this same story. It is so polished at this point. She, she thinks it's so adorable. This, oh, he would tickle my feet and read books from this psychotic lady who was channeling a spirit. <laughs> and then I thought, well, maybe I'll channel a spirit too, since my husband likes that so much. <laughs> We have a little bit more about Jane Roberts here. She was known as a psychic and a spirit medium in the 1960s until the early 80s, and then she died in 1984. She claimed to channel spirits, including the dearly departed, and an entity she called Seth, which imparted wisdom from beyond for her books. So you can see where we're going here. (laughs) The early inspiration for for Abraham. Uh, Inspiration is an understatement. In a, in a 2007 interview with Oprah, Esther describes how Jerry read the Seth books to her, and Oprah and Esther are weirded about Seth. Weirded out. So, again, here, uh, we're, we're, we're hearing the same story, and Oprah has are also read the Seth books, and so they're relating to each other about how they were weirded out by it, 
but they plowed through anyways to to read the Seth books. They ultimately decide that they wanted to meet Roberts, but a stranger in a sandwich shop, according to the story by them, told Jerry and Esther out of the blue that she's dead right when they decide to go on the hunt. A stranger. A stranger. I mean, the whole thing is just their their whole story that they tell about themselves and their the the eventual sort of discovery of the hundred ghosts of Abraham. They they inject so much mystery and sort of intrigue into all of it. They want it to be such a special magical journey with spirit guides and and happenstances and chance encounters. They've just injected all of this adventure into this really mundane story that they read about some lady's grift and thought, hey, we could do that, too. And then they made it happen. What they really needed to do uh, was to simply consult Stan Lee to get a better fucking origin story. I mean, it's just it's just so fucking wacky. Well, at at the very least, uh, within days of this mystery person in the sandwich shop. Uh, they, a friend of theirs tells them about Sheila Gillette, who also channels a group of spirits who are collectively known as Theo, and it's stylized capital T-H-E-O, all caps. Does it stand for something? I don't even know. As far as I could tell from all of my research, I don't think so, but uh, as far as as I know, no is the answer, but I could totally be wrong. But again, here's another antecedent for, for the Hickses. They're looking for this lady who channels a spirit and can't find her because she's dead. But just miraculously, they they find uh, somebody else. And this person has an angle already, though. This person's put a twist on it. She's not just channeling one. She's channeling a whole chorus of spirits. They're fucking multiplying. And so now it's like, oh, well, wait a minute. Now that's something. Why don't, you know, she's not just channeling one. She's got a whole group. But, you know, there's only like 12 of them. Well, what if we did 100? <laughs> That's a nice round number. <laughs> Listen, in the market, you need to have competitive advantage. If your neighbor's doing 12, you got to do 100. <laughs> Bigger is better. We all know it. It's like it's like the liver king. <laughs> Everybody needs to follow up on the liver king. He's the he's the social media influencer who's only eating organ meat raw. At least that was his whole performance. And it got revealed that he was just doing like $10,000 a month of steroids. And that's why he was so big and muscular looking. <laughs> Even though he'd been constantly saying that he was all natural and it was just eating the organ meat that made him look like that and weightlifting, obviously. But... You know, weightlifting just doesn't do that to a human body. <laughs> it's, it's the same deal. He had to be bigger. Yeah. And so he he did whatever he needed to do to be this larger than life, literally larger than life sort of action figure character, like a walking around kind of demigod that he had to be for his social media audience. Hicks has to do the same thing. I, I see it as absolutely no different. It's the same kind of thinking. It is the it is the the spiritual entity channeling version of the Liver King, <laughs> except she doesn't look like a uh, fucking He Man standing up on stage. This is not a new deal either. You know the the idea of channeling overall. I mean, a, a lot of people have 
have been made familiar with Jay-Z Knight over the years, who really sounds like that should be a hip hop artist. Yeah, but you it know, is not. Uh, every time I hear it, I, I I get I get thrown off by which one we're talking about here. <laughs> I know. It's like, oh yeah, like MF Doom and Jay-Z Knight and, and who's that other one that was really popular in the nineties? No. The it is Jay Z Knight is a white lady who I believe she's now deceased, but the she is dead. Uh, she was yeah she she was channeling what's the name of the spirit? Oh, I don't remember. Doesn't even matter really. Jules is going to look it up, but the she was channeling a spirit I believe from Atlantis, and the and this is something that that goes back deep though, and it's this idea that you're. Like your stories about your special knowledge that you have are going to be much better received if you have a fantastic story. So you have people that tell these stories like for for the last couple of hundred years that. I mean, a lot of this ties up with the history of colonialism of, you know, Western European colonialism in Asia and and Central and South America. But the it's this idea that the if your knowledge goes to some temple in the Himalayas and that, and that's where you learned all this special stuff. Or you were like Edgar Casey contacted by Atlanteans or you're like Napoleon Hill and you have your great school of the masters, which is probably a ripoff of Helena Blavatsky who had the master masters of the ancient wisdom, the, the or the ascended masters, they're often called that. You, that that's usually what the, you're going to hear them referred to as, you know, more commonly now as the ascended masters or the school of the ascended masters. I, I was just listening to a podcast talking about, um, also talking about uh, about Esther Hicks, except totally incredulously talking about Esther Hicks <laughs> because the the podcaster is also a a uh, uh, a medium. <laughs> so, the, so the podcaster so, says, "No, this one over here, she's full of shit." However, <laughs> no, 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 no. The pod, the podcaster is like, "No, this shit is legit because it happens to me too." <laughs> <laughs> well, Ramtha is the uh, Ramtha. That's who it is. <laughs> Yeah, is the, that's Jay Z Knight's uh, spirit friend. <laughs> the Lemurian, <laughs> that's her invisible friend. The Lemurian warrior who fought the Atlanteans over thirty five thousand years ago. There we go. I, I see. I just like started a race war by by uh, by accidentally assigning Atlantean uh, uh, ethnicity to to Ramtha, and when Ramtha was actually a Lemurian. And, and uh, it's I'm important to keep to your the, seven. I'm sorry to all the Lemurians listening. It's important to keep Blavatsky's seven races separate and and just keep them straight. <laughs> Yeah, because that's where that shit comes from too. The Lemuria Atlantis thing, like that's that's Blavatsky as well, and it was just picked up and carried by a lot of other people. I'm not sure if she's the one that uh, that came up with Lemuria. I don't. I don't know if that. I, was, thought, I don't know if she originated that or if she read it someplace else. I I thought at Atlantis the very least, definitely not. Obviously, I thought at the very least that the Lemurians and definitely the Atlanteans were part of the seven races that. Blavatsky describes in those epics. No, she does, but obviously she did, I mean, like she didn't invent the name Atlantis. Oh no, of course not. No, 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 no. Yeah, and I don't know if she invented the the name Lemuria either, or if she just sort of corralled these different stories into her own mythology that she was coming up with on the fly. She was the queen cowgirl. She was corralling all of that shit. <laughs> 
I think we uh, we can play uh, Sheila introducing Theo. Yeah, let, uh, yeah. Let's let's hear uh, let's hear Sheila. Let's hear Sheila Gillette get into. Let's hear Sheila Gillette get into the Theo vibe. And at this point, I would like to introduce Theo to you. What I will do is I will invite them in, and my husband Marcus will begin asking questions so that you can have an understanding of who they are. So here we go. It is the beginning, is it not? It is welcome, Theo. We are appreciative of the opportunity to be of service unto you. You may ask. Well, we're very appreciative to have you here, and I'd like to start off by asking you to please introduce yourselves. We are 12 archangelic beings known collectively by the name of Theo here as mentors, teachers for the evolution of consciousness for humankind. It is now a time that all are being impacted in experiencing the fifth dimensionary energy, which is the evolution and awareness of one's masterhood. Theo, how is it that you speak through Sheila's physical body? We engage on a cellular level, having utilized this body, worked with the energetic fields cellularly, so there could be a conjoining of our energetics. And why now? Why speak through her now? Because it is this evolution that is at hand for all humanity. Never before have humans been ready to accept the <laughs> divinity that they are. Humans. Is she Ferengi? Humans. All right. Did, did you notice in there too? I didn't catch this before. That may be one of the earliest references to 5D thinking. No, I didn't catch that. Five dimensional thinking. She referred to it. That's a, that's a, I, I, that might be one of the first references to this. This video was recorded in 2011. That's got to be so much earlier than just about everything else. I wonder if she got it from somewhere else or if that's just her. I usually hear that in as a joke as 5D chess in, in a meme. And on message boards, you see 5D references all the time or not as much now, but you did, especially in the months leading up to the to the 2020 election. But this is 2011. That might be one of the earliest QAnon influences. And she also talked about the, the upcoming evolution. And that's why the, the spirits are talking to her now. And that's exactly what, what you hear from the QAnon people when they talk about the Great Awakening. Oh, yeah, yeah. This is like a, a, a jump in consciousness. I, I don't know. I, I think, I think Sheila Gillette was, uh, was on the very, very early end of this wave. Well, I gotta say, Napoleon Hill is their philosophical guide. Uh, we've got the spirit. Wait a minute. You gotta say, come on. We've been doing this over a year. That's your segue. <laughs> I need you to cut all of that shit. Cause that was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Napoleon Hill. How about reference the most recent thing they just heard, which was Sheila Gillette and flip this sentence around. Oh yeah. Yeah. Sheila Gillette gives them the, the act that they needed and they get their philosophical guide from Napoleon Hill. So they have everything to hit the road. 
After meditating for months, Esther finally had a breakthrough. I don't even, I mean, according to who on this, who said they were, me- she, that she was meditating for she months? She did. She did. Yeah. According to <laughs> Esther. Of course it's she started, her. I, I, again, you know, like she's trying to, to connect herself with the story of the Buddha or something like that. I turned down the position of being a queen in order to do this. She started to receive vibrations from Abraham and the first interactions she she has with Abraham or the first messages she was she's receiving from Abraham she doesn't really know how to translate them so she's spelling out letters with her nose i don't know why she's not spelling out with her fingers but the nose is the only thing she has control over so just imagine what this would look like I guess, you know, just shove a piece of chalk up her nostril and put her in front of a blackboard. I, I'm I'm imagining one of those little uh, dash figurines that you put uh, like a like a hula hooper. But uh, it's got like the bobbly head that w- waves around all over the place. After a while, she gets blocks of thought, according to her. And Abraham doesn't speak to her with words, but she interprets these impressions and then puts them into spoken language. That is. That description right there, she reuses that one all the time. Whenever anybody asks how Abraham communicates with her, Esther will say that Abraham doesn't communicate in words, but she gets these vibrations and then she has to interpret them and put them into language. Granted, it's a little less campy than Sheila, but she's still doing. Oh, but hardly though. She's still doing less campy. A little bit of a transatlantic accent. Uh, whereas Sheila goes pretty fucking hard and heavy into that one. No, Sheila sounds like Malcolm McDowell when she talks. (laughs) She actually kind of looks like him, too. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, uh, they both thank the audience for the opportunity, which, I mean... If there wasn't uh, another, there's so many examples of of one to one comparisons. The way they they hang on that word opportunity and they pause at ridiculous syllables, ridiculous syllables. Yeah, yeah, it's it's opportunity. I I I imagine a kid who's just now starting to drive, and he's learning how to drive, and he 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 doesn't quite have the smoothness of the gas pedal, and so it's this real jerky stop and start. As as the various spirits are trying to control the the body and figure out how words work, except they don't have any trouble when they want to tell you about their their grief with Rhonda Burns. As soon as Abraham wants to talk about the bone they have to pick with Rhonda <laughs> Burns, then uh, then everything is clear as day. <laughs> well, even though things were a little uh, a little jerky in the beginning, the Hickses did not waste any time trying to make money off of channeling Abraham. By the end of 85, she was getting full messages, doing private consultations the following year, and pretty quickly filling conference rooms and Marriott hotels and, and other venues around the country. They published their first book, that's the Hickses published their first book, not Abraham, A New Beginning One, A Handbook for Joyous Survival in 1988, which is really optimistic because they already have the 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 Roman numeral 1 on their first book. Hey, they know they it's going to be a for trilogy. The second book to call it part 2. <laughs> and the Hicks's books are typically it's a conversation format between Jerry and Abraham, pretty much identical to the what the little bit you heard from Sheila Gillette's husband talking to Theo. 
where it's obvious accomplices here. I mean, this you have to have somebody who's going to be your accomplice to make this work. And as far as tactics go and getting audience buy-in, that's got to be your first start because you already have somebody who's convinced. At least one person believes it. You don't have to just believe that first person ever because the first person to believe it is already with you on stage. You've you've got to have the pen and teller. And I'm not referencing the the Las Vegas comedy duo who does magic because their name comes from... No, it's what they're named after. It's, it's what they're named after. You have to have a pen and teller, and that's exactly what we've got going on here. By the close of the 80s, they were operating at full steam, and the Abraham Hicks show was on the road year-round. You almost said the Abraham shit show. <laughs> <laughs> I caught that. I heard that. <laughs> <laughs> it was a shit show. <laughs> they would keep this up for two decades before they attracted the vibrations of Rhonda Burns. The writer that was very nice. Nicely done. <laughs> the writer and producer of The Secret in 2005. But which is another way of saying that the grifters sniffed each other out. <laughs> <laughs> The main thrust of the initial message of the first release and the narration was from Esther. Rhonda Byrne had more than a few conflicts over business agreements and payments from her documentaries. Then there were broken promises and shortcomings in payment when it came to the Hicks. Where, where, who, who says documentaries? People who read it fucking wrong. <laughs> and not documentaries. I meant to say ah. documentaries, but I was liking All the right. flow. Keep going. I can, I'll reread it. No, no, no. Read it. Keep going. <laughs> the main contention was cutting Abraham from the film and no visual depiction of Esther. After Jerry and Esther made $500,000 from the deal, the Hicks and Byrne cut ties. An expanded edition was released without Esther within a year of the initial release. They had to add some other clips in there to make it special and cover up for the fact that they were entirely writing Esther out of the movie. Most of the speakers in the documentary all have a title along the lines of philosopher, entrepreneur, or author. The through line is that they preach the law of attraction and new thought. Byrne claimed that she read The Science of Getting Rich by Wallace Delois Waddles. It's probably Deloitte, I'm sure, but we're in America, so it's Delois. <laughs> After her father died. This was a seminal work in the new thought and self-help movement. We're like, this is like boilerplate Wikipedia right here, everybody. The film quickly rose in popularity as a direct online DVD release, grossing $65 million. Despite the quick cut from the film, it still catapulted the Hicks' visibility, and their next two books released in 2006 and 2007 became bestsellers. So even though they got cut, they still won, basically. They, they were able to get that initial exposure that did everything for their uh, for their book sales. Yeah, it really helped them out. Abraham Hicks, or Esterham, <laughs> has a simple message, which the Hickses managed to concisely deliver in 13 books and a movie so far. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about smart brevity. Nobody's going to be surprised when they find out that over the course of 13 books in a movie, some of these ideas have not aged so well. This is from their 2006 book, The Law of Attraction. 
You are all as magnets attracting unto you the subject of your thought. And so, if there is one who gives much thought to, or one who speaks much about, rape, then it is very likely that they will be the victim, by their words, of such an experience. Because, by law, you attract unto you the essence of that which you give thought to. Jesus fucking Christ, this lady. So remember that clip from earlier on with Oprah? The one that I let play long? The, this victim blaming, you know, if you get raped, it's because you were thinking about vibrational stuff that's on the same wavelength as getting raped. This is the most convoluted version of she was wearing that clothing, so she asked for it, that I've ever heard. She was thinking those thoughts. Jesus Christ. And this isn't this isn't not uh, the first time she said this or the last time she said this or her ghosts, whichever. I don't ever want to give her that that cover on purpose. <laughs> it's, this is Esther Hicks saying this. This is how she sees things. This is this is her talking about it on several other occasions. As we are observing your physical environment, we would say that it is less than one percent of the actual rape cases that are true violation. The rest of them are attraction and then a changing of intention later. <laughs> As this man is raping or asserting himself upon another, it is our promise to you, this is a disconnected being. It is also our promise to you that the one he rapes is a disconnected being. Focused upon lack, vibrating in that place, and by the laws of the universe, the coming together has been accomplished. We believe that this subject was really talking about the mixed intentions of the individual. In other words, she was wanting the attention, she was wanting the attraction, she was, she was really wanting all of it, uh, and attracted more than she bargained for, and then, and then as it is occurring, or even after, uh, feeling differently about it. Vibrationally, very often you're saying one thing. In other words, your vibration is saying yes, 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 yes. And then when it comes right down to the physical interaction, all of a sudden you say no when the momentum has already begun. So that the woman then feels violated because she said no. It is a little bit like getting a freight train up to 120 miles an hour and then jumping out on the track and saying stop. So your lips said no, but your eyes said yes. Is she a consultant for Andrew Tate? Jesus fucking Christ. This, this is about as Tate as you can get. At a speaking event, Hicks was asked by an attendee how she could have attracted, that's using the word the way Hicks does, how she could have attracted being molested when she was a young girl. Hicks replied, What people mostly don't realize about the creation of children is that children are offering vibration even when they are not offering words. You pick up your vibration from those who surround you, from what you hear. You pick up your vibration and you offer your vibration. Why would some child with all of this innocence negatively attract? We say because you came forth thinking you had free will to think. What the fuck is Again, she talking the about? The kid did it. The kid made it happen. And she's just trying to explain how the kid could do that, how the kid could attract that kind of attention. Why does God do bad things to children? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's yeah. Just, well, because obviously the kid wanted it. 
Jesus Christ, these fucking people. At another event, Hicks commented on, you guessed it, chattel slavery. Do you think it would be accurate to say that many of the descendants of some of those who were brought here in slavery are now living in a much better environment than if they'd stayed there? Some of the trauma and tragedy that they are wanting to condemn, if you could make peace with it and acknowledge, it was the beginning of a journey that was better. Then the improvement could be yours today. But the determination to condemn it as wrongdoing, on whoever's part you want to point the condemnation toward, holds you in the place in not receiving the benefit they all cared so much about and that they were willing to live it in order to create it. You know what? I take that back. She is a consultant for Ron DeSantis. The slaves are better off, and the reason they don't see that they're better off is because they're just all stuck on how it, how the, the slaves got here in the first place. Listen, CRT would have you believe uh, that it wasn't your will manifesting here, but I'm here to tell you, fucking Christ. <laughs> if, we could ju- if, if people could just get over slavery, they'd realize that they're better off now anyway. <laughs> well, I... And the Holocaust. Of course, the Holocaust, not to be outdone (laughs) by her previous statement. All of them were co-creators in the process. In other words, everyone that was involved in it did not die. Many of them who were well-connected with their inner beings were inspired to zig and zag. Many of them left the country. So, (laughs) only the ones who deserved it got killed in the gas chambers. That's that's what because they were disconnected beings, and that's what happens. She uses that phrase "co-creators" in the process a lot to justify horrific things. That's her favorite (laughs) word. (laughs) This this is the kind of thing that happens though when you have this this outlook that you're advocating in one context. And it all sounds fine when we're talking about making a little bit more money or finding a way to get a better job or improve our relationship or something like that. Really, in the context of, thing, of, of a society and of the history of society, these are incredibly superficial things because they generally only involve a couple of people. There's only a few people involved in the scenario where I get a better job or, you know, somebody's relationship improves. There's not many people that need to be, need to be rolled into this. But as soon as you start talking about circumstances that involve dozens, hundreds, thousands, millions of people, then things get really complicated. But you're boxed in now because you have to use that same limited way of thinking about things to apply it to this giant scenario. And you have to make some sense out of it. Now, this tells us a lot about about Esther Hicks, though, is that her the her, her sort of gymnastics that she goes through to make some sense out of this is absolutely fucking horrific. And it's just like, like that's how she manages to square these circles with a horror show. This is just like you were talking about earlier with the Oprah interview with her where she could have just said a very reasonable response that you know sometimes things are complicated and this doesn't necessarily apply to every single thing. And instead of doing any of that reasonable shit, she says, "No, no, 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 no." This is black and white. It applies to all things. And I am not going to double down. I'm going to triple down on this shit over and over again, because once you get in, you know, there's barbs on this path. You can't just back out. 
without contradicting all this other shit that you've said. So she has to keep going forward because the horrific nature of, of saying all these things, that is easier for her to cope with than revealing that it's all bullshit from the get go. Like the, 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 the entire, her entire program has been just made up. Yeah. And she can't admit that without damaging all, without damaging everything. And she's made a real, I think she's made a calculated bet in this. I think she's incredibly savvy. And I'm definitely ascribing like the worst intentions to her rather than just her bumbling around. I think that this is absolute malice and her very, uh, cynically, but accurately sizing up what her audience will, is willing to accept. They are much more willing to accept these like, hard truths as the way that she would be presenting them. But these, these totally disgusting, uh, worldviews, she's, they're much more willing to accept that than any contradiction and keep paying for shit than accept contradictions. I think that's the calculation that Hicks has made. Or and even I, I nuance think she's or right. complexity. I think she's been accurate, too. I think she was in, she was perfectly accurate in the way that she sized up her followers. I think you're entirely correct. So now you have control of your vibrational offering, which means now you have control of your point of attraction. Because we're all vibrational offerings. We are all vibrational beings, everything. Is. And you are attracting to yourself the vibrational frequency, the vibrational offering that you are putting out. Every time, no exception. Even if you're four years old. Even if you are one year old, even if you are in your mother's womb. Vibration abounds, and you are vi- You see what happens. You are so. This is where this is where we get hung up here because I don't understand, and I'm sure many people listening to us don't understand how an innocent child attracts being raped, an innocent child attracts being abused, an innocent mm-hmm. child tra- attracts being kidnapped and butchered. The first assumption that makes it hard for you to come round to understanding is the assumption that in order to create you must have language you must be speaking and so if a child is not speaking then they must not be attracting where what is happening is you are attracting as your animals do you even though they do not have language they are communicating in very powerful ways vibrationally the question that you asked when we began we, we want to come back around to that because it is a good basis for this. People often, when they first hear about law of attraction or that you create your own reality, most are very excited about the idea because they want control. They want control over the bad things and they want to be able to bring in more of the good things. Then, soon after, as they discover that control of their own experience means control of their own thoughts, then they're not so sure about all of that because it's not an easy thing to control one's thought with so much stimulation around. And so that's really what you're speaking to. If there is the responsibility of a parent or a mentor, it would be to teach the child that they have guidance within. And if they are listening to the guidance within, they could not comfortably ever settle on the thoughts that would then attract something unwanted. My my question to you, though, is not about the vibrational. I understand the whole vibrational frequency yes. thing, and that's why I, I feel that in terms of the secret, that it's a great tool. We agree. It's a great tool. But I don't think that it's an answer to every single question in the world because there are many other universal laws at play. Everybody's born and everybody is going to transition. 
everybody comes to earth, everything that comes to earth eventually takes another form and moves through the earth and out into wherever we go. I should ask you, where do we go? You withdraw your consciousness from this physical experience and you reemerge into non-physical and you feel yourself as the culmination of all that you've become. It is an exhilarating experience. I think the takeaway from that clip is that Oprah pushed her for a second there. She was actually being responsible. And even though the answer was completely unsatisfactory, Oprah just comments on the fact that it's unsatisfactory and moves on. Moves right along. Whatever else just caught her attention. Whatever shiny object just popped into her head. (laughs) This is how we do. Like, she never gets held to account for this stuff in the moment. You know, because she's always being addressed by somebody who is insanely sympathetic to whatever, to the message in an overall kind of way. You know, if if Oprah challenges this, then Oprah has to challenge her the entire foundation of her own worldview. Yeah, it's not going to happen. She's not going on to some kind of skeptics podcast or something like that. That's no. not how this fucking works. Where, where somebody is going to really hold it down. Okay, you're some interdimensional enlightened being from the whatever dimension how does this work how do humans create vibrations don't tell me that we do it like animals do because that's not an explanation that's just a comparison and at the end there she 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 was asked uh what happens after death and she gives this very roundabout way of saying you turn into ghosts and it's exhilarating (laughs) yeah coolsies yeah Jerry and Esther published their first three books under Abraham Hicks Publications through 1995. In 2005, they published Ask and It Is Given, Learning to Manifest Your Desires, under Hay House. Hay House was the publishing company of Louise L. Hay. Hay ties into this as another New Thought influencer. She started following Christian science in the early 70s after a bad divorce. She started writing- What? 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 Bad divorce energy led to the creation of something insane? (laughs) (laughs) She started writing about New Thought and even got in on the AIDS epidemic in the early 80s. She gave AIDS sufferers positive thinking advice in her hay rides, as she called them. Oh, my God. (laughs) According to... That is is just... That that is unacceptable. (laughs) That was not my pun. I want to make it clear to everyone. <laughs> right, because yeah, anybody listening that has heard the show before, they wouldn't know because that's exactly how you talk. <laughs> <laughs> that was her pun. I take no responsibility for this one. <laughs> this is according to Hay. Venereal disease is almost always sexual guilt. It comes from a feeling, often subconscious, that it is not right to express ourselves sexually. A carrier with a venereal dis-ease can have many partners, but only those whose mental and physical immune systems are weak will be susceptible to it. Now that is some Christian science right there. Oh yeah. Christian science was started by Mayor... Christian science was started by Mayor... Motherfucker. Mayor McCheese? (laughs) I think he probably would have tastier thoughts. Christian science was started by Mary Baker Eddy, who was inspired by the teachings of none other than Phineas Quimby. 
I love these names. I, I love these like the these these late nineteenth century names. They're fantastic. <laughs> Phineas. Phineas Quimby. The, they're late nineteenth century, totally goofy, and honestly sound like some silly characters that you'd find on Nickelodeon in the mid nineties. Quimby is largely credited with kicking off the new thought movement. Quimby claimed to have cured himself of tuberculosis with the power of positive thinking. The beginnings of New Thought focus on health as a consequence of thoughts. Christian science takes this idea to its furthest extent, including refusing treatment in favor of wishful thinking. That's refusing medical treatment. Yeah. So they would prefer to just think positive thoughts rather than take medicine. Now, in a time period like the late 1800s, where medicine was pretty much a crapshoot, whatever you take might kill you, it might make you better, it might do nothing... Hey, your dentist was also your barber at that time. Right. That wasn't that big of a gamble. What are my odds? I, maybe I'll just skip the doctor and die in my own bed, or I might actually get better on my own. Turns out you can do that in the United States of America right now. Well, except now, there, there's still people doing that. There, there, there are people that are they're refusing antibiotics, which didn't exist at the time that Christian science was developed. Or uh, things like, how about anesthetic? That didn't exist at the time that Christian science was developed. <laughs> there, there's been some good stuff that's been that's come around in the last 150 years, but they're not having it. None of it. Absolutely none of it. Not long before Napoleon Hill started pu publishing his best-known works, Waddles, The Science of Getting Rich, cleaved open the New Thought movement from health to anything one desires, especially if that's money. All right. Everybody think prosperity gospel because there's a big there's a big split that comes up. <laughs> these people that have influenced all of the these these new thought characters like like Esther Hicks are also the same people who influenced Billy Graham. Yeah, or Jim Baker. They're the same people at the root of them as well, because there's a split where one side goes secular and the other side goes evangelical. But it's still believing the same idea. But you're doing the same thing. It's either I get all this good shit because I'm special and Jesus loves me, or I get all this good shit because I have good vibes. <laughs> either way, it's the same kind of wish casting. One smells more like patchouli than the other. Oh, there's no patchouli in this crowd. Yeah, probably not. Napoleon Hill isn't just one of many. Hill was a pioneer of the self-help industry. The secular side of it. The secular side. Emphasis on that. And we covered him, uh, not to, not to, I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention it, we cover him in one of our earliest episodes. He had a lengthy career of fraud and basically proto-multi-level marketing, and he finally hit his winnings with the grift of his books, The Law of Success, and his most famous Think and Grow Rich. Yeah, he, he very famously completely fleeced an entire town, I think, in Kansas, who had hired him to come and do motivational speaking and a training seminar, like a series of seminars for the, for the town government. And he basically just took the money, didn't deliver anything, and disappeared. <laughs> and then he had his, his uh, what was it, like, logging shipment grift? Yes. I mean, the guy was, he was really something. 
too bad I won't be around, but maybe I can channel myself here a hundred years from now. Because yeah. I think 50 years from now, I think, first of all, the secret, your books, all of that are elevating conscious to the point where this won't be so weird. Yeah. Even a decade from now, right. this won't be I so agree. weird. 25 years from now, you know, it won't be so weird. Now, I'm going to take this to another level of weirdness. And I, if Jerry were doing this, I'd be mad at him, but I'm going to do it anyway. Right after we met Abraham, we were living in Phoenix, and I was receiving them, and we were having a wonderful time. And Jerry was teaching from the book, Think and Grow Rich, and he was telling the story about a sharecropper's daughter who said, my mammy's got to have 50 cents. And she just stepped right up in the face of this man and demanded it, and he reached in his pocket and gave it to her, which he couldn't believe that had happened. And while I'm sitting there in the audience... I feel consumed with this energy that I recognize must surely be Napoleon Hill. It was strong, and he was so excited about Jerry's delivery of this story. So as soon as Jerry got off the stage, I said, Jerry, I believe that Napoleon Hill has something that he wants to say to you. And we went to the car, sat in the back seat of the car in this Napoleon parking lot. Napoleon Hill? Napo- I know. I'm sorry, but it's, okay. you know, no one's dead. Okay. You know, it, and so Jerry has activated this by his lively expression from this book. And so this energy is now interested in what we're talking about. And Jerry asked Napoleon Hill, what would you have done differently? And Napoleon Hill said, I would have told where I got it from. And Jerry said, why didn't you? And he said, the book would have never been published. So then, Napoleon Hill, author of Think and Grow Rich. Yes. I'm glad I let that play a couple of minutes longer again, because she just reveals how little they actually know about Napoleon Hill, because he did talk about where he got it from. He told everybody. But it wasn't in Think and Grow Rich. It was in one of the later books, but that was a, that whole ridiculous skit that we did. And oh, when that we was did our so Napoleon funny. Hill I was episode. dying during that skit. <laughs> but the it was like that was when he got visited by the by the the ascended teacher, and and, and all this stuff was explained to him. Napoleon Hill got it from spiritual transmission. Yeah, and he told everybody he got it from spiritual transmission. Yeah, why wouldn't the ghost of Napoleon Hill? be able to know that too. How come the ghost of Napoleon Hill doesn't remember where he got his own idea from? Why would he have that regret? <laughs> you push the you push the envelope of the grift a little bit too far. And yeah, nobody in the crowd read all the the, the terrible books that Napoleon Hill wrote. Well, you know what? I read a bunch of them. So, and I actually know the answer to the question. <laughs> <laughs> I not to give up the ghost, if you will, but uh, I was... Uh, See what I mean about hayrides? <laughs> he could have totally said that. <laughs> but uh, I, I, was, I was in line with somebody uh, at a recent conference that's going to be in, in our ne- upcoming episode, and uh, I was talking with them about their particular thing. They're, they're telling me all about what happened at the previous convention. And I said, oh, that's, that's the Ray aliens. And the person just gave me this total blank stare. They had no idea what I was talking about. And that was the moment that I realized, oh, shit. Uh, apparently, I'm oh, reading yeah. more of these guys than the people attending the event. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, that 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 comes up where where you start knowing more than the people who buy into this shit. But there's a reason for that too. Is that the 
one of the reasons I think that we are not inclined to buy into this stuff is that we don't read it in a vacuum. I don't just take the, some simplistic explanation from somebody like Esther Hicks and then just sit there with it and be like, yeah, that makes sense. No, I can, I read more. I compare it to other things that I've read and I start seeing these patterns. The people in her audience, the people who pay her subscriptions and really are paying for her entire lifestyle, they don't read that other stuff. They don't see the comparisons with, uh, with other things. They don't, they don't know anything about somebody like Phineas Quimby or Helena Blavatsky or anybody like that. They don't see how these ideas have been, have been brought up again and recycled and reformed and then regurgitated over and over and over again. They don't see how any of that, uh, any of the connections between these, these previous authors or, or I guess thought movements. So they can, they can easily just listen to Esther Hicks and be like, yeah, I like the way that makes me feel. <laughs> yeah. That's it. You know? <laughs> so even if you don't get rich from these happy thoughts that you're, that you're getting from Esther Hicks, then, and it could just be harmless snake oil, like, you know, no harm done. And beside all the money wasted on spending your time listening to this stuff and really just like destroying your relationship with your grandchildren, <laughs> your health is another story. Kathy Goodman was a woman that was featured in the film The Secret. She's advocating using positive thinking, just like the Christian scientists. But Kathy Goodman was trying to treat her own cancer with her own positive thinking. And it did not work. She was claiming that she'd cured her own cancer with new thought and that she'd been attracting anti-carcinogenic vibrations. However, unfortunately, she died from breast cancer in 2014. And even in the Oprah interview, Esther relates an anecdote of arthritis being treated with positive vibes. She says the difference between hope and fear is the difference between recovery or not. And again, Having a good attitude is instrumental to your own healthcare. And there is also this idea of the sort of this nocebo effect where the, the patient believes they are going to get heal, healed from the medication. And so they do or get healed from the treatment. And so they do. This is documented. It is real. There is something going on here. It doesn't make it the same as what Esther Hicks or the Christian scientists are talking about, but. It does happen. And this, this goes back to the very early in Phineas Quimby's own life where he had this idea, like his own first encounters with, with this positive vibes type thinking had to do with being around this spiritual healer and realizing that, you know, sometimes people got better and sometimes they didn't. He, he actually very accurately surmised that it had to do with the attitude of the person who was receiving the treatment, the spiritual healing. And if they really thought it was going to work, they would get better. Without applying science to it, he was catching on to the placebo effect. But <laughs> here's he the asterisk went, to that statement. Yeah, he just went terrible places with it. With all the promises of cures and health from the law of attraction, Jerry Hicks still died from cancer in 2011. Esther continues to run the Abraham Enterprise to this day, with seminars and cruises scheduled into 2023. The reach of new thought and the law of attraction is wide. Byrne and Esther got attention and followers with big names following the secret, including none other than Oprah. And she pushed these ideas and similar authors such as Eckhart Tolle. Jay-Z, 
Jim Carrey. By the way, Jay-Z, not to be confused with Jay-Z Knight. Totally different. Yeah. Totally different right. people. This is actually Jay-Z. <laughs> <laughs> Jim Carrey, Will Smith, Russell Brand, Colin McGregor, and a bunch of others subscribe to the law of attraction. Huge with celebrities. Huge with celebrities. The law of attraction is throwing out all of the cultural and structural and historical influences in favor of magical thinking. So if you're poor, it's because you weren't wishing hard enough. We've already talked about the prosperity gospel parallels with this. But really, the whole fucking thing is just some basic shit that you'd read in the first chapter of a Psych 101 course. We've got confirmation bias, survivorship bias, and my favorite for this one is the Bader-Meinhof phenomenon, which is where when you're thinking about something, you tend to notice it everywhere. If you if you learn about something and you're like, whoa, that's really interesting. That's like, I want, I, oh, wow. And then you start looking for it out in the world. Yeah, you're going to find it. You're going to find it. And it, it, the same reason why you, when you when you buy a new car or a used car or whatever, and then you start driving around, you notice how many other cars just like that one are out there. Yeah. Like, oh, I had no idea there were so many like other people that had, you know, whatever, whatever car I just bought. You start noticing that much more often because you're thinking about it now. And this isn't this isn't a a a poorly run simulation for Jerry where they're just repeating the same car over and over again. Are we allowed to talk about Rick and Morty anymore? Oh, it's being canceled and not in the canceled way, in the canceled canceled way. Yeah. It, <laughs> well, not the show so much as Justin Roiland. Specifically Justin <laughs> Roiland. Ooh. Yeah. Nobody else. You know, no, nobody else has been texting minors and trying to uh, to get them to send pics. It's so he I think he does the voices for like the majority of the lead characters, too. Uh, you can get anybody to do voices. Yeah, they're easy to replicate. Hopefully it keeps going and they just we can get AI cut to out do of voices. It. Harmon was the funnier of the two anyways. Well, I think that this whole shtick really just preys on financial insecurity and community identity or social connection deficits. I think that's 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 an angle of the attraction <laughs> to people like Esther Hicks that we we don't give enough attention to. That more and more people are going to be drawn to people like Esther Hicks and the answers that they're giving, the worse their own circumstances are. The worse things that are for a person, the more likely they are to start looking for answers. If they're if they're in a bad space, they might be looking for those answers in the church. They might be looking for those answers in in a relationship. They might be trying to find somebody to partner with that in the hopes that they'll get happy after they get partnered up with somebody. Or they might be looking to make more money because that's going to make them happy. And if they can't figure out how to do those things. Which, by the way, none of that shit works. If you're not happy going into the relationship, you're not going to be happy because of it. If none of that's working, then you're going to maybe try to find somebody who's going to tell you how you can get those things that you've already convinced yourself will make you happy. The Queen of the Heathen said uh, a couple of episodes ago that nobody ever seeks God when they're in a good spot. Yeah. And my, my reply back then, and I stick right with this now, is that... You say the same thing about somebody who turns out to be a heroin addict. Nobody wants to start using heroin because their life is going so fucking well. Yeah. And the likelihood of getting addicted to it is much, much higher the shittier your circumstances are. 
and, you know, just sub in fentanyl, whatever. I, I don't I, I'm not out there looking for fentanyl unless my my circumstances are pretty shitty already. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with with thinking positively in general. The part of this that's that would be agreeable if it wasn't so egregious with the fucking rest of it is the idea of, hey, think positively and nice things might happen to you. That's a reasonable statement. And then people are going to want to be around you. You're going to find yourself in good places. But you can take this way too far. As we've seen. Don't try to, like, use this framework to understand the Holocaust. <laughs> yeah. How about this? Uh, I've I've distilled all of the best things that, that uh, all of the New Thought Movement has to say. Here it is. Try to have a positive attitude if you can. Look for the good things in life. Look for the bare necessities, the simple bare necessities. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for listening to another premium episode of Wet Wire. Where is this one going to be? A, is this going to be a premium one? I, this is a premium episode. Okay, cool. Just making sure. And thanks for your support. We we really appreciate it. All all, all of the support in the feedback it, it 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 means the world for us. Some people have written reviews on uh, on Apple Podcasts. I definitely encourage you to write more. Somehow we've managed to maintain a solid five stars. I swear I did not pay anybody to put those there, <laughs> even though the reviews look as if we paid somebody to put those there. <laughs> <laughs> this is not the result of some Fiverr operation. If it was, maybe we'd have more reviews. <laughs> right, exactly. If it was, it wouldn't just be two. <laughs> and really, if, if you think the show sucks, write a review too. Tell us what you think is so terrible about it. Again, everybody that is listening to this knows where to find us, but just in case you forget, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram. We have a Discord. We have new people on it. They don't talk very much, but they're joining. So we're—I think we're just waiting for this critical mass before conversations just start spontaneously erupting. And thank you to the three new subscribers we've gotten in the last month. That's been awesome. Yeah. Um, keep it coming, and we will have a new premium episode out for you in a couple of weeks. So until next time, later. I was encouraged to read the Seth books um, after reading all of the Abraham books over and over. And um, if it wasn't for me reading all of the Abraham books over and over and over and getting something more out of it each and every time, then I would have never understood Seth because I find he was very scientific. Like we're electrical magnetical units and all that kind of stuff and coordinate points and stuff like that. But I'm getting a lot of benefit. He said a lot of stuff that I would like you to clarify if possible because you are so brilliant in doing that. You know, helping us understand. <laughs> okay. And, or um, you could ask Seth. No, well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> when is Seth going to have a cruise? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>